Hey everyone, welcome to Street Clinics, uh, a podcast by Atticus Health, where we talk to uh, health professionals about um, a variety of uh, health issues. And uh, today I'm excited uh, to introduce very shortly uh, Kerry Morrison, who's our mental health uh, social worker. So I will give Kerry a call and uh, speak to you soon. Hi, Kerry. Hello, Bruce. Yes, thanks for you know, thanks for for your time today. And uh, before we uh, we sort of get stuck into it, I will just introduce you uh, to everybody. So uh, we've got uh, Kerry Morrison is our mental health social worker um, who is on the podcast today. Um, now, Kerry is um, educated with a masters um, of couples and family therapy, um, and she's worked in private practice for well over 20 years and prior to that she worked in various community health settings and uh, the Centre Against Sexual Assault. Um, Kerry enjoys working with adults uh, with general issues but her special interests are anxiety, depression, trauma and relationship counselling. In Kerry's spare time she enjoys rowing and Pilates several times a week and she describes these as her antidepressant for the stresses of life. So uh, something I subscribe to as well, so I can't wait to talk to you a little bit more about that later as well, Kerry. Um, Kerry, yeah, no, and uh, just one other thing too, Kerry, you know, you've set up and continue to run um, the PNET Cancer Foundation, a non-for-profit brain cancer foundation, which provides support for families. So you're welcome to the podcast today and thank you for your time. My pleasure. Yeah, so well, I guess we'll we'll get stuck into it, Kerry. There's lots of uh, lots of burning questions um, that I have, and you know, with the start of spring today um, as well, um, it'll be yeah, really helpful, you know, to hear from you um, around uh, various topics um, surrounding mental health and and how we can how we can move forward, um, you know, for the rest of this year with the with the warmer weather. So. Um, one of the questions I'll start with, Kerry, is, you know, if you could, what can you tell us about the topic of re-entry anxiety um, around COVID? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question, Bruce, because I think a lot of us are still wrestling with that. Yeah. Um, even though we feel like we've been out of lockdown for a long time, mm. um, it still exists, yeah. the anxiety. So. I guess, uh, you know, whilst we have been out of lockdown for many months, um, we need to be mindful that Melbourne endured the longest lockdown period in mm. the world. In the world, and, yeah. Uh, on top of that, there's been a 25% increase in anxiety and depression worldwide mm. since COVID has occurred. And um, for many people, there is a residual anxiety about reintegration and how best to go about it. Yeah, um, and do you think yeah, um, are there people that you see as well, Kerry, that um, that have actually enjoyed lockdown? <laughs> well, yes, there are. Yeah, well identified, Brett. Um, there, there are plenty of people who have experienced COVID isolation as being a really positive experience. Mm. Yeah, and they've been able to seize the lockdown time uh, essentially to you know, reprioritize their lives. Yeah, and I think um, yeah, I think we all uh, 
Yeah, we, we all know people um, that, are, that are in, in these uh, situations. And I know I've got a lot of friends and family that, you know, have done, have done uh, just that. Um, yeah, and many of these people too are sort of struggling to, you know, they've formed new habits um, over the last couple of years. And now they're sort of having to, you know, in a lot of cases, go back to the, to the old habits. That, uh, and, you know, there is that definite struggle. Um, yeah, yeah, that's right. There's a tension around it. How do I do this? Do I want to do it? Am I am I being judged negatively because I don't want to do it? Yeah, yeah, that's so right. That's <laughs> yeah, yeah, I yeah. see that. Yeah, I see that too. Um, so, what do you think um, has caused the increase uh, in the deterioration of people's mental health, Erin? Yeah. Well, I guess um, having so many unknowns throughout this pandemic causes anxiety. Mm. You know, we've got a vaccine, but the guidelines around how we are to exist just keep moving. Yeah. So, you know, just yesterday, National Cabinet announced that we can reduce COVID isolations from seven days to five. Mm. And, you know, alongside that, scientific thoughts about COVID are changing all the time. Mm-hmm. And new variants are occurring. And there's an uncertainty about when and where to use masks. And, and really not knowing what's safe and what's not safe is something that we've never actually seen before. Mm, mm. And Kerry, can you explain uh, a bit more about why people have felt so much anxiety and psych- um, psychological distress around uh, their, uh, well, the, the COVID experience? Um, sure. Well, uh, there's lots of things that have but I, I guess we've probably just taken for granted in the, in the past that have suddenly changed. So things like our personal freedom mm. and sense of safety has been compromised. Mm. You know, in lockdown, we've not had to navigate as many of the stresses that come up when we're at work or at school or out socialising. Mm. And, and during the two years of lockdown, we've lived our lives in a way that we've just not done before. Mm-hmm. So... I guess it, you know, it's been quite shock going into it. It was a huge shock going into it. Mm. And, and now it's jarring coming out of it and trying to reintegrate. Yeah, and that's, uh, that's the, the, you know, the interesting part and we're, we're, why we're excited to talk to you. Um, you know, can you talk to us, Kerry, about you know, how we could go about you know, overcoming uh, the distress that we often feel um, you know, that has been associated with all of this? Yeah, um, distress. God, it's it's constant. It's a constant for all of mm. us. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it, it's something really that we just have to accept as part of the flow of, of the good and bad in the normal cycle of life. Mm-hmm. It, it's sadly not something that we can avoid. And we just have to learn to accept it as being a part of the human experience and who we are. Yeah, yeah. No, I really like that. And uh, yeah, it's it's good to hear that you know coming from someone um, with the amount of, ex- of experience that you have. Um, so, how would you? How do you? Um, would you go about doing that? Well, <coughs> I always advocate for um, to do this in a in a, a way that you become self compassionate, a way that yeah. honours the feelings that come up mm-hmm. in all of us. So understanding that that feelings, um, that our feelings are important and you know, don't dismiss them, they're there for a reason. 
and when we feel anxious or things don't go well for us, we, we need to accept that our brain's default position is, is commonly to beat ourselves up yeah, and yeah. tell ourselves that we're no good yeah. or that we're failures in some way. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, we, we will see this phenomena happening when we get anxious and we get past the sort of the threshold of what we can cope with. It just It's almost like these internal terrorists just come in and start saying, see, you're hopeless, you're no good, everyone will be judging you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so being compassionate, is to stop beating ourselves up for having uncomfortable feelings and honour the things that we do well and take the time to privilege them. So um, I don't know if you want an example of how you might go about doing that. Yeah, well, that would be great, Terry. Yeah, that would be great. Well, I mean, I I have feelings of anxiety like Mm. everyone else and there are times that I might feel a bit overwhelmed but what I've come to learn um, and, and recognise is that, you know, in times of stress, those sort of internal terrorists will, will rear their ugly heads and give me all those nasty messages. But what, what I recognise is that I know that that's what I do. I, I have an acceptance. So, yep, that's what I do when I get anxious. But I actually don't have to, to own those feelings. Yeah. I can consciously say to them, hey, hey, guys, you go and knock yourself out over in that corner over there but I'm actually going to focus on what I can do well, and I know if I can regulate my distress, I will be able to complete this task well enough or get help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the way of being compassionate to myself. Yeah, that's... uh that's a great, great example because, um, yeah, compassion, it's uh, not something that we uh, really talk about much. So, no, I'm glad you uh, you mentioned it and uh, as it being a necessary um, and really, uh, I guess, healthy and uh, important uh, part for all of us in um, in coping or, yeah, like dealing with the, the daily uh, stresses or, yeah, distress in life. So, um, I noticed that, uh, people tend to feel tired and a bit fragile when uh, they are anxious and uh, distressed uh, for too long. Um, how does how does this happen, Kerry? Yeah, the, the tired and emotional experience. Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, well, anxiety is not a thought that you have to regulate in your body. Mm. It's it's a physiological experience that's hardwired into us. Mm. You know, it, it's designed to be protective and keep us safe from danger. So we're actually not trying to numb the symptoms. We're we're trying to regulate them mm. so, so that we can understand what's underneath them and then be able to function to the best of our ability. Yeah. So essentially, you know, regardless of what our thoughts and triggers are, we have the capacity to ground into our bodies and regulate our physiology and calm ourselves, mm. no matter what the you know external stimulus is. Mm. So, so what what we see happening is that mm. if we start to ruminate and start to get really anxious, and the anxiety increases, or or starts to build to panic our thresholds for coping start to get overwhelmed. Mm. And at that point, we really can't think clearly. Our our brain just gets flooded with with chemicals that actually stop it from thinking clearly. And the part of the brain that that gets flooded is the prefrontal cortex. And the prefrontal cortex gives us the logical reasoning and all of our conscious thoughts. Mm, Wow. Yeah, that sounds pretty awful. Um, 
how can we how can we reduce yeah <laughs> how can we how can we reduce uh these symptoms Kerry? yes uh well this is where you probably need to come and see people like me but mm. um there you, you can get all these many many models easily off the internet so three that are quite useful um around high levels of distress yeah. uh systematic desensitization um, another one is scope, and another one is emotional focus therapy, mm. and they're kinds of ones that I like to use quite often. But you can easily find all of these interventions on the internet, and, and they address how to attune to our bodies and self-regulate so that we can still function. Mm, okay, oh, that's great. Um, Kerry, what about people, um, I think we all know people in these situations, but what about people who are happy to stay at home and they can't be bothered going out? I know, as I said, uh, I've had a lot of friends and family, um, I think we all have um, in these situations. Um, yeah, so if they don't want, uh, if a person doesn't want to go out and they're happy to stay home, like, um, you know, like how should we treat these situations? Yeah, well, there's certainly um, a good deal more people identifying as mm. that. Um, I guess what we need to get clear about is if a person doesn't want to go out mm. and they're happy to stay home and isolate, all we need to understand is whether um, it actually is a problem for that person or is it just a problem for us? Mm. Yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I've been in that situation too, Kerry, where I've had to check myself on that, where I've been, uh, as an empathetic person, I've been worried about other people. Um, but yeah, like sometimes I had to sort of check myself and say, well, you know, was I, you know, was, was the other person as worried as what I was in these situations? Yeah, The yeah, person that was staying at home and happy to stay at home. Yeah, it's, it's, so sometimes it's hard to understand that, you know, it's not a problem for someone else because of we would see it as a problem for ourselves. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So uh, alongside that, I guess for a lot of people, the COVID experience was, uh, you know, a great gift. Mm. That <laughs> they realised that they were overburdening themselves socially and they didn't want to be spending that much time out. So, you know, some people actually say to me, God, I was just made for COVID. Mm. <laughs> I'm really not that keen on re-emerging as much as I did before. And they're really happy with re-evaluating how they want to spend their time. Mm. And it may be that, you know, if you're taking your children to too many things and you begin to realise that by taking them to less things, your anxiety is actually reducing mm. because you just don't have to deal with all that extra stimulus that you have that makes you get anxious. Yeah, that's great. But uh, what if it's impacting on people in a negative way? Yes, well, if it's impacting negatively on your mental health, you may need to look at your motivation. Mm. So some people might avoid getting flooded with anxiety by feeling that it's easier to stay home in their comfy clothes and they don't have to worry about getting their hair done and, or whatever they used to do before they stop re-entering the world. Mm. Um, but we know that this can be destructive to us. And we really need to identify how and why this is. Mm, so that's so true. But so, so how do you do that, Kerry? Yeah, well, this is where we have to, the uh, notion of motivation comes in. Sort of the only way that 
um, motivation shift is when we see the consequence um, in our lives. Yeah. So, for example, you know, if someone is using too many drugs or alcohol, it, it's commonly serving the purpose of reducing their anxiety. Mm. You know, that yep. they are relying on the numbing effect mm. that feels really good, feels really useful when they're about to use. Mm. And, and it stops the, you know, I don't want to feel right now. Yeah. That's what the alcohol does. Like, you know, feeling is what they want to stop. Mm. And at that point, that's the only part that they see. Yep. So if we apply this um, thinking to COVID reentry yep. and someone doesn't want to go out, it may be that they don't want to feel the anxiety of being with people and all that brings up. Mm-hmm. You know, they may choose to stay numb by avoiding. Yeah. You know, if they use, you know, heroin or something major like that and are able to look at the big picture, they will be able to see that there's a lot of um, major consequences from doing that, a lot of negative consequences from Mm, doing that. mm, mm. So, but if we are avoiding, it means a lack of connection. We're not being fully embodied and engaged in our lives. Yeah, so like in, in this way, I'm interested, Kerry. Yeah, so yeah, again, like what can we, like what can we do about this? Well, if we're avoiding through social isolation, we have to start to conceptual, <coughs> sorry, conceptualize yeah. what it is that we want to move towards. Mm-hmm. So if we don't have a goal, if there's something that, that doesn't mo- is not motivating us, we have to get clear about what it is. Otherwise, there's no incentive to do anything. Mm. So, and so, if it's a problem, how can we be uh, motivated despite some of these symptoms um, that we're feeling? I think I think that's what yeah that will be really helpful for um, you know the listeners. Yeah, well, I guess the media talks about this quite a bit, and you know we keep hearing all the time. Um, you know, don't fill your calendar. Um, yeah, you know, switch off the news, all those kinds of things, but. If you're avoiding and feeling lonely because you are seeing no one on the weekends and only going back to work a little bit, mm. you might have some motivation to now say, I don't really want to or have to go to every event that's going anymore. Yeah. But I can reach out to a friend and start to build slowly. Yeah. So I guess if you don't see the consequences or have a goal towards what you want, the yeah. numbing and isolation is always going to be the easier default position. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. Yeah. Uh, what else can we do? Is there anything else we can do to change this, Kerry? Um, well, I guess I, I, I sort of started to say that in the last bit, but then move on. Um, yeah. We, we, can sh- we, can, we can shut off some things that we know create anxiety in yeah. many of us, such as social media and news networks. Yeah. Um, and if we do this, we can give ourselves space to look inside of ourselves and get clear about what we feel comfortable with and what's not working for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yep. But there is something very calming about making your own decision to stay isolated mm-hmm. that's appropriate for your health, whereas others might decide that going out and having social interaction is important for their mental health. Yeah, yeah. Like we, I guess we do hear that a lot. You know, the I guess the importance of uh, of uh, that social social connection, and um, yeah, I guess de- depending on what way we feel about it, I guess would then yeah determine that. I know for myself, that's something that's really you know important to me having that that social connection. But um, yeah, I guess I have to realise that uh, not everyone values that in the same way. 
Yeah, that's a really good point, Greta. Mm. If, um, if we can identify, you know, who we are and what works for us. Yeah. Um, rather than forcing something that just doesn't work for us. Yeah. And feel okay about yeah. who we are. Then that's a much better outcome. Yeah. Thanks so much, Kerry. Uh, I guess we're almost uh, out of time for today, but uh, you've provided us with so much useful um, tips uh, for, you know, the COVID re-entry and the the springtime that, you know, that we're in the the hopefully warmer weather that we're coming into (laughs) at the the moment. So it's been really helpful. Um, Do you have any final thoughts uh, that you can give us before we sort of wrap it up? I guess I, I would just summarise by saying that re-entry anxiety is a very real experience mm. and it's challenged our sense of safety and increased uncertainty about how to exist yeah. and how to re-enter our lives post-lockdown. Um, we can use psychological skills to reduce our anxiety to a manageable level so that we can get on with our lives. But if we are finding ourselves wanting to continue isolating we may need to reevaluate what's going on for us. Yeah. And if we need to reprioritize our lives. Yeah, then that's what we need to do. Yeah, awesome. Well, yeah, thank you again. I really appreciate uh, your time, Kerry. Um, I know it's very valuable. So, yeah, we really appreciate it. I know a lot of the listeners, uh, you know, mainly in the in the Atticus Health community, will really, you know, enjoy listening and uh um, hearing from someone you know as experienced and, and knowledgeable as yourself, so some really handy tips. Um, again, you know, thank you for your time, and uh, thank you to everyone that has listened uh, to Kerry today. Um, we hope to bring you uh, the next uh, podcast uh, from Street Clinics, uh, which will be yeah, it'll be another specialist um, or health professional, and hopefully we can continue to provide. Um, educational um, information to to the community. So thanks again for your time. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, My name is Brett, and I will see you next time. Thanks, Brett. Thanks, Gary.